Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Hey, praise Jesus. You know, I have developed a reputation around you, uh, Grace, for the last number of years of saying, I think, in particular, two phrases. One is Lord willing, and the other is... There you go. I knew you'd get that one. I do this a lot, and I do so for very good reasons. I say Lord willing a lot because of specifically of what James says in chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, where he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, or in my parlance, Lord willing, we will live and do this or that. Now notice in this passage, the issue is not making money. It's not making plans. The point is that you and I must acknowledge that God is sovereign over our plans and that you and I are doing more, hopefully, than paying lip service to God. Because when you and I say, Lord willing, concerning whatever plan we're making, we're recognizing our need for God's blessing and we are implicitly asking him to be involved in whatever aspect of life we're talking about at that moment. Now, this is an enormous change of how we think, certainly to a non-believer, but even comparatively to many who claim to be believers. But this is a needed thing that we should say in order to get our own minds right. That's why I say, Lord willing, about whatever we're talking about. Now, as to the second, and obviously you know this about me, and concerning praise Jesus, I hope that this sermon tonight will explain why I do so and why I do it fairly often. So let me lay my cards out for a second and the, to say that the point of this sermon is that God's works are designed to cause you and me to praise him so that others will do the same. God's works, the things that God does in us and around us are designed to cause me to say, praise Jesus, so that when other people see me and you doing this, they will want to praise him as well. If you get this point, you'll understand what the psalmist says so much more effectively than I, and we will be reading what he says in Psalm 92, starting in verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and harp and to the melody of the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. I love that. You, O Lord, have made me glad by your work and the works of your, and at the works of your hands, I sing for joy. 
What we get from these four verses, I put in one sentence, it's in your note, if you look at your notes that were handed out. Steadily and creatively glorify God everywhere and for everything. This is the meaning I get out of these four verses. Now, I get the word steadily from these four verses by several phrases. The psalmist says, it is good to give thanks. And then he says, in the morning and by night. And it's clear that the psalmist is, wants us to make a habit out of glorifying God. It doesn't matter when or where you are. Praise Jesus. But that isn't all that's going on here. The psalmist insists that it is not enough merely to praise God steadily. He makes it clear for us here that we are to praise God creatively. And I think this is a major point. I get this from the fact that he's talking about singing and declaring, and we're doing this to the music of the lute and harp. Because what strikes me here about this is that it takes an enormous amount of effort and practice in order to make yourself proficient enough with these instruments to the point where you can actually make praise instead of make noise. Amen? Anybody here practice instruments and and know what I'm talking about? It takes a long time to do that. God is not interested in lazy or last-minute devotion. He wants us to be creative. He wants us to give our effort and our time to becoming proficient enough with the organ, the piano, or whatever instrument you use, so that he will be glorified. In a sense, it's a part of the gift. And I just took two verses. Believe me, I had to choose from a whole lot of them, in the Psalms especially. It's in Psalms 33.3, where David says, Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. This whole idea of skillfully is important and then in psalm 144 9 i will sing a new song to you O god upon a ten-string harp i will play to you this new song idea this ever more creativity that's coming out of the hearts of those who love jesus and we are singing praise jesus to him because my friends no matter what kind of music you like Every single song was a new song at one time. Right? And that is what God is asking for. And then, this almost does us another big favor in my opinion. He tells us why or what is the reason for this kind of worship. And we find it in verse 4 where he says, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. He is happy. He's stoked. He's just excited about playing this harp or about singing so everybody hears him. He's feeling pretty good. And that is the kind of thing that unfortunately many in our culture have forgotten. We have sought after lesser forms of pleasure and we have forgotten those things that really do give us pleasure. God's works are designed to cause us to praise him so that 
others will do the same. There is a purpose to all this steadily and creatively glorifying God. It is so we can rejoice. So that we can be glad and sing and dance. I think I'm going to be on the singing and dancing team in heaven because I certainly can't do it here. Now, have you ever thought about why it is that all the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies were such hits? Do you ever just think about that? It's because they looked like they were having fun. And we enjoy watching people have fun because we want to have fun too, right? And my friends... That is just a part of what it means to steadily and creatively enjoy the Lord, to sing praises to His name. So if you want to enjoy yourself more than the world around you, embrace a new song. Not one that sings about the quote-unquote good stuff we can find in this world, but one that embraces the work that God did for our soul and the works that God has done for our hearts. In fact, my friends, to be honest, that is a large part of why I just took my family on a two-week vacation, because I wanted to praise Jesus and help my boys to do the same. So here's a couple, I, I promise I'm keeping it short, just a couple of reasons why we went on our vacation to praise Jesus. But they are not. There we go. This is one of the hot springs we saw in Yellowstone. I don't even know how deep it was. It was was great. And then the next one, there we are in the Grand Tetons, uh, enjoying uh, just each other and what was around us. And one more. And that was in Zion, Uh, the first real day of our vacation, we got to just see these things that we ordinarily didn't see. My family and I saw some of the most beautiful places in the western U.S. You know, it's absolutely astounding when you go to these places as one who loves Jesus and trusts his promises. Instead of making everything flat, and brown. God threw in hills and mountains. He made some red, green, blue, and his favorite color, orange. And he did this so that you and I, so that my boys and my wife can sing at the works of his hands. My friends, you and I should not be grumpy. We have more reason than anybody to be absolutely stoked Sorry, that's my generation's word. About what God has done. Do I get any representation? Come on, some of you guys are my age, right? There we go, okay. (laughs) When you look at the oaks on the hills that are around us, sing for joy. Sing in your car so no one else hears you. Praise Jesus. And if it has been a while since you've paid attention, turn off the TV Put away the internet shopping and drive out to those vineyards and go have a worship experience. I promise you won't regret it. Because God's works are designed to cause you and me to praise Him. Because when we are praising Him, people see that we value something, someone, better than all the some things and someones on earth. And 
unfortunately for us, our psalmist continues. He continues in verses 5 through 9 where he says, How great are your works, O God! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high. Verse 9, okay. For behold, your enemies, O Lord. For behold, your enemies... O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish, and all evildoers shall be scattered. I should have trusted myself. I knew that I was going to verse 9. And here's the point I took from these verses. The senseless, the stupid person, fails to understand, to steadily and creatively glorify God everywhere and for everything. And because of this, they are deluded into falsely believing that their temporary prosperity will last. My friends, that is a whole paragraph of information that we need to comprehend. We need to understand that when we allow ourselves to become fools, we do so because we are not steadily and creatively glorifying God. And because of that, we are tempted to believe that whatever prosperity we have will last. Now, all the way through the Bible, God talks about the stupid man, the senseless person, the fool. So it behooves us to understand what kind of person God is talking about so that you and I can make sure that we are not that kind of person. So the question is, is this stupid person... One who simply has no knowledge. Well, evidently not. Because the person who is merely lacking intelligence, don't miss me here, this is an important point. The person who is merely lacking in intelligence may be more tuned into God than you or I because they have less distractions. But it's the fool who, according to our passage, cannot understand this. What can't they understand? That, though the wicked sprout like grass and the evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. The senseless fail to steadily and creatively glorify God everywhere and for everything and are thus deluded into falsely believing that their temporary prosperity will last. This is given very clearly in a verse that everybody here I'm sure is familiar with in Proverbs 1-7 where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction." In the Bible, foolishness or stupidity or senselessness is a moral condition. It is caused by a rejection of wisdom and a despising of instruction. This is exactly what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 1 when he says, They are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became foolish. 
fools. And my friends, this moral failure to acknowledge God, let me repeat that, this moral failure to say praise Jesus for the things that we see around us, to steadily and creatively glorify God, this moral failure is exacerbated by the work in our souls and the works in the world that people absolutely refuse to give glory to their creator for. What the senseless, what the stupid person fails to understand, but you and I must, is that we must praise Jesus everywhere we are and for everything that we do so that you and I won't also be deluded into thinking whatever temporary prosperity we have will last for any amount of time. I want to make something else clear. We must not allow this idea of temporary prosperity to be politicized. Don't insult your Lord and Savior by politicizing the idea of the economy. Because God isn't concerned about whether the president that we elect in a month and a half is Democrat or Republican. Let me tell you why. Because of verse 8, where the psalmist says, But you, O Lord, are on high forever. Who is the ruler? Who is the one who's in control? The man who sits in the White House? No. The sovereign God of the universe is. For behold your enemies, O Lord. For behold your enemies will perish. My friends, there is no plan made by man that can succeed against the high king of heaven. Amen? Your job and mine is not to fret about who will quote unquote win because God is in control. Now listen, we care. We do our best. We do our research. But unlike the world who has no hope, we do not fret about politics. And as I was reading Psalm 92, this jumped off the page at me because I'm sure there's at least one person in this room who, like me, is sometimes tempted to fret about whatever political events is happening. I won't ask for a show of hands because that's not a good idea. But listen, one of the ways that you and I can share the good news of Jesus Christ is exactly what we've been talking about by steadily and creatively glorifying God everywhere and for everything so that others can see that we value who we value and that they can value him too. My friends, if you live above the fray of all the politics and someone either from the left or the right sees you, they are going to recognize that you have a greater security than whoever we might put in the White House. Indeed, it is true that God's works are designed to cause you and me to praise him so that others would do the same. Amen. And so our psalmist gives us some more good news in verses 10 and 11. He says, But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. 
You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies, and my ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The point in your notes that we get from this is that by faith, and specifically in this passage, this faith is exhibited by steadily and creatively glorifying God everywhere and for everything. By faith, I trust that God will make things right. I can trust that God will make things right in my interpersonal relationships if I'm offended by somebody, just like we were talking about this morning. I can trust that God will make things right in my community relationships, whether things are happening politically or even just the various tragedies that happen day by day. I can know that God will make things right. And my friends, Our God knows that there will be political disappointments. Our God knows that there will be difficult doctor diagnoses. Our God knows that there will be victory, seemingly victory, for those who fail to recognize their God. And that is exactly why the psalmist here gives us three reasons. He gives us three reasons why we can, in in the in spite of the difficulties we face, we can steadily and creatively glorify God. The first is that he gives us strength. Our verse tells us, you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. He gives us strength so that we can endure it. And then he also gives us refreshment. He says in verse 10, you have poured oil. You have poured over me fresh oil. He gives us refreshment when we need it. And then in verse 11, he gives us the third, and that is a solid foundation of hope for the future, where he says, my eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. My friends, these things are what we need. Strength for endurance, refreshment so that we can keep going, and a hope, a knowledge that God is going to come through on his promises so that whatever difficulty we're facing, my friends, whatever the difficulty you face is, you can know your God is for you and not against you. Amen? This is good news. And in this is the gospel. God will make things right. And once again, I don't need to fret. I don't need to panic. I don't need to be bitter about the victory, so-called, of those who are evil. And my friends, Paul, again, is Paul who makes this crystal clear where he says in Romans 12, 18 and 19, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then he says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And that is good news. I don't have to fret because God's works, even those works that are involved in taking vengeance, are designed to cause you and me to praise him so that others can see us and hear us praising him, and they will do the same. Now, if you can remember, just a few hours ago, Pastor Benji said this exact same thought when he said gospel, refreshment, 
happens when hearts captivated by Jesus are catapulted to love others. And my friends, let me tell you something. You won't be captivated by Jesus. You won't have a heart that is caught by Jesus until you are steadily and creatively glorifying God everywhere and for everything. And when you are steadily and creatively glorifying God everywhere and for everything, then you will be captivated by the love of Jesus. And at that point, when you make it a habit to praise Jesus, when you make it a habit to acknowledge him no matter where you are or what is happening, you will be catapulted to love others. Not, as we talked about this morning, in your quiet times when you're alone, but at the times when that frustrating person is standing right in front of you. Then, when this frustrating person standing right in front of you sees that you are becoming captivated by the love of God in Christ Jesus and that you are praising God instead of thinking about how you can fight back with this person in front of you. Wow. Wasn't expecting that. And who knows? That you might be the instrument, the tool, the device that God uses to bring this person who has been frustrating you perhaps for years into the kingdom of God. Now, isn't it amazing how consistent the good news of Jesus Christ is? Pastor Benji, I wasn't planning on saying this. I had this planned, but he just preached right into my sermon. That was great, Benji. I love it. We have a God who loves us in the psalmist day, in Psalm 92. We have a God who loved us in Paul's day as he was writing to his friend Philemon. And my friends, we have a God today that loves us and has done things, has made works, this psalm exactly says, so that we can steadily and creatively glorify him. Your God loves you right now. And furthermore, he promises us what he promises here at the end of the psalm. In verse 12, he says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree, and they grow like the cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Now catch this. Something happens here. He says, To declare... He gives us all these blessings to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. The point I take from these verses is that God blesses us so that we may bless him. How do we bless him? By steadily and creatively glorifying God everywhere and for everything. And we do this so that others will do the same. Now, I understand in my sentence, as I have it written, there's a possibility for confusion. And so I want to clarify that, even if it hasn't occurred to your mind yet. But I want us to think about, just for a second, what is the difference between God blessing us and us blessing God? This is, this is an important point. In the Greek, now, okay, I know this is the Old Testament, but stay with me here. 
In the Greek, there are two words that are translated to bless or blessing. The first of these two words is makarios. And whenever this word is used, it is always used for the greater blessing the lesser, for the king or for God blessing one of his servants, showing favor to that person. And never in the Bible does it ever say that a person, Markarios's, if that makes sense, blesses in this sense God or even a king. Now the second word that the New Testament uses to, that is translated very often uh, to bless is the word eulogeo, which means to speak well of someone. And especially it's used to speak well of God, although there's a bunch of different um, connections. And this, this speaking well of God is what is commanded throughout the entire Bible. And these last four verses, what we're seeing is God blessing the righteous person. They are flourishing. They're planted. They're flourishing again. They still bear fruit in old age. All of this flourishing and blessing that God does for us, he expects us to turn back to him. And how do we do that? We do it with, as in verse 15, to declare that the Lord is upright. Now, as a side note, I think it's very interesting that he says to declare that the Lord is upright. I was thinking about this, and I, I, I didn't really find that anywhere else in the psalm. But how many of us are quick to blame God when something bad happens, but we don't thank him when something good happens? As soon as the bridge falls in Minnesota, we're blaming God. We're not thanking him for the fact that bridges all over the United States are still standing up and we travel over them literally every single day. But this is the point The blessing of God is the declaration. He is upright. Okay, now back to the sermon. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. That is why I say God's works are designed to cause you and me to praise him. To get it out and say, I don't care what you use. Some people say, praise the Lord. That's awesome. Some people say, glory to God. I love that. My phrase is praise Jesus. I... That's just the one I like. You find your own and I'll mimic you, okay? But let's do it. Because when we see the great works of God, then we can praise him. Amen? And then others will do the same. What we find, my friends, when you and I go to the Psalms is a generous, even ornate declaration of the trust of the God of Israel. They are taking as many pains as they can to praise the Lord, the I Am, the Lord of armies, the God who provides, the God or the Lord of my strength, the Lord Almighty. They can't make up enough names for him because he's so awesome. And the Psalms are just this kind of declaration of praise. And we discover in the Psalms an example of people who are steadily and creatively glorifying God in all the various circumstances of life, both those circumstances that are pleasant and those circumstances that are otherwise. 
when you and I go to the Psalms, what we find is a bridge. And this bridge has been built so that we can cross and escape the futility of the daily vain pursuits of all the things that will never satisfy us. And what we find there is a healthy relationship with the sovereign. We can, as Pastor Benji alluded to, George Mueller's day, and this actually I I did steal from him. I got this idea this morning while I was sitting over there. But what Pastor Benji was alluding to was George Mueller's famous statement about learning to make himself happy in the Lord each morning. And I'm going to read a couple paragraphs here. This is George Mueller, where he said, the first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. For I might seek to set the truth before the unconverted. I might seek to benefit believers. I might seek to relieve the distress. I might in other ways seek to behave myself as it becomes a child of God in this world. All good things, right? And yet, not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day by day, all this might not be attended to in a right spirit. He thought that the most important thing he could do is make himself happy in the Lord. And so I think it behooves us. Okay, Mr. Mueller, how did you make yourself happy in the Lord? Well, fortunately, he tells us in the very next paragraph, he says, before this time, he's describing a particular point in his life, at least ten, for 10 years previously, as a habitual thing to give myself to prayer after having dressed myself in the morning. Now I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of God and to the meditation on it. And thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, and instructed, and that thus, by the means of the word of God, while meditating on it, my heart might be brought into an experimental communion with God. And experiential is how we would say that today. In other words, he got stoked on Jesus. I don't know if he said it that way, but that's what I would say. He was praising Jesus every single morning because he was looking into the word of God, and he saw God's work for his soul. And then, I imagine, he would go out and he would see the birds in the fields and whatever was around him. Okay, he was in Bristol, so he was looking at city too. But he was praising God because of what he saw around him. So what I want to encourage you and I to do is use Psalm 92 as a jumping off point. Go home this evening and read it line by line. There is so much I missed here. There's so much that I just couldn't touch. And just drink the marrow of the blessings of God so that you can praise him too. So that you can steadily and creatively glorify God everywhere and for everything because God's works are designed to cause you and I to praise him so that others might do the same. And Lord Jesus, we want to praise you. We want to give glory to God 
to you because you are the creator of all good things. And you are the one who has created so many colors, so many flavors, so many smells so that we can just rejoice. God, I pray that you would break open any stony parts of our hearts so that we can look and we can experience and we can see your works so that we can glorify the God in heaven forever and ever and so that we can bring as many people as we can along with us for your glory, for the growth of your kingdom, and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.